The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Oh! 
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. The trap for your soul has been set and put in place. If you are captured, you may well die. Or if by God's grace you're able to escape that trap, you may very well be desperately injured. The trap is set. We need to talk carefully about what that trap is, where it's set, and what it's supposed to accomplish. That's what First and Second Peter, the epistles, are all about how to avoid that trap. The trap is set by a very clever adversary. We call him the devil, Lucifer, Belzebub, Apollyon. We call him by many different names. But he is a very intelligent being, not a human, but a very intelligent being. And it is his desire to capture you. He set the trap for Eve in the garden many years ago. And his trap was supremely successful, almost destroying the human race, had it not been for our Savior Jesus. He would have accomplished his goal. He would have caused the whole human race to follow after him. And the result would have been the whole human race would have been destroyed and sent to hell. So what I'm speaking to you about today is of utmost importance and utmost seriousness. Many of you have walked around in this world as though it were your bowl of cherries, giving no thought, no meditation, no searching out to see where the traps are set what they look like, what they smell like. Do you know how to identify the trap? And then, of course, a trap needs good bait. And the devil knows how to bait your trap. Let's read first Peter, the first chapter, verse 13. Therefore, having girded up the loins of your mind for clear thinking, being self-controlled, you must hope completely on the grace being brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as children of obedience, not conforming yourselves to the passions with reference to your former ignorance. What are those Passions, profits, pleasures, honors, everything the world has to offer you. Remember Jesus in the wilderness after 40 days of fasting, the devil comes and offers him all of the profits and pleasures and honors of the world. And he says, get behind me, Satan. Continuing verse 15, but as the one having called you is holy, you yourselves must also be holy 
in all of your conduct. So this is not a a sentimental deal. This is not a recommendation. This is the only way you could possibly escape the trap that is set for you. Because it stands written, you must be holy because I am holy. Now, I need to be straight up with you. Most of you have already been caught in the trap. And if you are not delivered from that trap, you will die. Many of the people who walk into the doors of the church have already been trapped. And now they are drunken, drugged, dead in their spirit. And they think they're living a wonderful, normal life. Unfortunately, in the Garden of Eden, the wages of sin were death. That is still true today, as true as it was in the Garden. The wages of sin... Their death. Death pays those who walk in its ways. That has not changed. The traps that we so eagerly walk into and so insanely walk into tell us that, oh, God loves you unconditionally. Don't worry about it. You're, you're good to go. You're safe. Sometimes the traps are very accommodating, very comfortable, sedated, apparently safe. But the wages of sin is death. And sin will pay out what it owes. Let me continue reading. If you call on the Father, the one judging impartially according to the work of each one. Wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not what the modern church teaches, is it? No, we're told that when the Father looks at us, He will not be judging impartially according to the work of each one. No, we're told today that he will look upon us and only see Jesus, and he will not even see us. We'll be hidden. We'll be covered with this supposed robe of grace. No, that's not what the word of God says. We've believed, if we have believed this, we have believed a lie. It is a part of the trap. Please, as a young man, I put out a trap line. I did it for money. I did it because I was raised on a farm, and I needed money, and I could get 50 cents for a pellet from a a muskrat. So I would go out in the early hours of the morning, 
or the night before, and I would set my traps. And if that muskrat stepped in my trap, I would kill him, I would skin him, I would put him on a board and let the pellet dry, and then Dad would take it and sell it for 50 cents a piece and give me that 50 cents. I don't like that as I look back now as an adult. I wouldn't set a trap line. They're exceedingly cruel. But the devil has a trap line for you. And if he catches you in that trap, he intends to kill you and stretch your hide out as a, as a trophy to say, I won. To put it in Jesus' face and say, you lost. It says, if you call on the Father, the one judging impartially according to the work of each one of you, not according to the Im- imputed grace. That's nowhere in the word of God. That's a made-up myth of wicked men who make excuses for their unrighteousness. If you call on the Father, the one judging impartially according to the work of each one, you must conduct yourself with reverent awe during the time of your sojourn, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, silver, gold, out from your vain conduct handed down from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without defect. It's Christ who wins our heart and who delivers us from the devil's traps. Recognizing that we already have all been caught in the devil's traps, and we all deserve to die because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We do not escape the trap, and we do not avoid the trap by hard work on our part. It is a gift of grace through Jesus Christ. Verse 22, this is 1 Peter 1, 22. Having purified your souls by obedience of the truth. Not having purified your souls by imputed grace or unconditional love. It's not what it says. Having purified your souls by the obedience of the truth. That is your behavior. Through the Spirit, in unhypocritical love, you must love one another out of a pure heart constantly, having been born again, not out of corruptible seed, but out of incorruptible, by the living Word of God, even abiding forever. Now I come to the passage for today's lesson. It's found in First Peter, the second chapter. I'll begin reading for you in verse 11. Beloved, I like that. I'm loved by God and you are loved by God. Beloved, I urge you as strangers and sojourners 
to keep away from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. See, if you're unconscious of this war, you'll lose. That'd be like going into a boxing ring with your head covered. You're going to get knocked out. Beloved, I urge you as strangers, that is, this world is not my home. My house is not my house. My car is not my car. My life is not my life. I am but a stranger and a sojourner in this physical body as I traverse through this brief time of probation upon the earth. Keep away from fleshly lusts, which war against your soul, having your conduct morally good among the Gentiles, that wherein they speak against you as evildoers, by having observed your good works, they may glorify God in the day of the visitation. Now, I want to take you to a passage of Scripture. It's found in 1 John. There are two places we're going to go today. The first is to 1 John. And then we're going to go to the book of James. I'm eager to hear your thoughts about this passage in the book of James. But let's go first to 1 John. And we're going to look at the second chapter. He says this. Do not love. Do not agape. Do not sacrifice your love for the world or anything in the world. Now, obviously, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, or only son of a kind. Oh, this world, the word is being used in a different sense now. John is speaking about the world as the place that the devil reigns, where he goes about seeking whom he may devour. He wants to destroy you. He is our enemy. He continues, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You see, it's very clear that if your heart seeks after profits, money, investments, pleasures, honors, see, the love of God and the love of these earthly things are totally incompatible. Because in these things there is found no true peace, no holiness, and no heaven. These are 
are false to us. They are a part of the trap set by the devil. Now, it is not wrong to have profit. It is not wrong to enjoy things in this world. I enjoy my morning walk. It's a little colder today. It was about 38 degrees. But I enjoy going outside in the brisk air or the warm summer air and doing my two miles of walk. I enjoy the color of the leaves this fall. I've tremendously enjoyed the cherry trees this year in the in the beauty of their leaf. I have a beautiful cherry tree right outside my door. This morning I looked and all the leaves had fallen. Now I'm going to enjoy raking my yard. It's a small yard. It's not very big. It's a townhouse. But I have a little yard and I'm going to rake that yard and enjoy the sound of crackling leaves. I get immense joy out of a cup of hot chocolate. I love to sit down to a a meal. When I'm fasting, I I miss I miss that enjoyment of sitting. And so I substitute a peppermint tea and enjoy each sip of that pure peppermint taste. I enjoy immensely canoeing, kayaking, biking. There are many things that give me great joy. But if I begin to pursue those things in a manner that they take the place of my time with Jesus and the ministry of my heart for the lost, if I begin to pursue those things as an end in themselves, you know, in our culture, we have addictions. That's really what we're talking about. No, now a man can decide, I really enjoy riding my bike. Now I need to get all of the equipment. So I can't just get a bike to ride. I need, I need the finest bike to ride. And I need the finest helmet. And I need to have those pants and that tight shirt. I need to look the part. I'm somebody. I'm a biker. While others decide, oh, I talked with a a couple last night. I said, I haven't seen you in a long time. Where have you been? Well, we bought a boat. It's a sexy Italian piece. And I said, well, how big is it? Well, it's a 55-footer. I said, that's a condo. What are you doing with that? Well, we're just having a good time together. It has consumed their world. They're now boaters. 
And now they're looking if they can find a bigger boat because they want to live on it. It's consumed them. It's not just a boat, a power boat, or a sailboat. It's the sexy Italian number. It's when someone looks at it, they say, oh, now these are very wealthy, important people, and we need to treat them with a certain deference. Or another man, he's into cars. He wants that that hot Porsche. He wants to go down the street and have his muffler roaring and have people look at him and say, oh, now there's a catch. You see, when we begin to go after the profits and the pleasures and the honors of the earth, we become citizens of this earth. And we are not with Jesus. The two are utterly incompatible. Now listen, verse 16. This is First John, second chapter, verse 16. For everything in the world. Now everything is a very inclusive term. I could phrase it this way. For everything in the trap set by the devil in the world. Now he's going to identify what those traps are. The cravings of sinful man. And they come through the lust of the eyes and the boasting of what he has and what he does. So what are these things in the world? They are the sensual pleasures that we lust after the impure desires which seek gratification. They seek gratification in sex, in pornography, in strong drink, wine, in delicious gourmet foods. I walked into a restaurant owned by a friend. He had invited me to come. So I sat down and began to look through the menu. It didn't take me but a moment to decide. When I came in, there was a couple sitting next to me. They too were looking at their menu. And they were smiling and laughing and pointing and talking about each item on this lengthy menu. It was obvious by the way they were dressed and the way they spoke. They were well-educated. And they were what we call foodies, delighting in the delicate taste, whether it be of the of the snails, the escargot, or of the salmon, or the steaks, the fish. 
I ordered my meal and it came. And I was finished eating and I'm a slow eater. I was finished eating before they had even yet ordered their food. Oh yes, they had to have their pre-dinner drinks. And then they took a great deal of time talking about what wine would go with the meal that they were desiring. And so the wine steward was called and he spent a great deal of time describing the delicate flavors of each wine. I was finished eating and taking care of everything and was gone before they had even ordered their meal. Self-indulgence. Self-indulgence. Self-indulgence, the lust for pleasure, the lust for, for comfort. This is all a part of the lust of the flesh. And then the lust of the eyes. The sexy clothes. Wanting to wear something that when you walk into the room, people will look at you and say, whoa, look, she's gorgeous. Formal wear. Only the best will do. The best car, the best house, the finest furniture, the luxury cars, the jewelry, whatever gives me a feeling of pride causes people to look at me and say, now there's a man. I'm careful in how I dress. You'll notice that I'm often wearing a coat and tie or a shirt and tie when I do this broadcast. I care what I look like. But it's not in order to make me somebody, and it's not in order to cause people to stop and look and say, look, there's Pastor Ray. He's a very important man and and a very successful pastor. No, that's not why I dress well. I dress in order to not detract from the gospel of Jesus Christ. I dress as the Lord orders me, as he directs me. When I get up in the morning and I go to my closet, one of the first prayers is, Lord, what would you have me wear today? Now, I had planned to wear something totally different than what I'm wearing today. But as I stood in the closet, I had very strong impressions regarding the coat and the tie, the slacks. It's not to give me a feeling of pride and of of luxury. It's to say I'm a servant of the Most High God. The third area is the pride of life. Look at what I've done. Look at what I have accomplished. Let me tell you some stories and they'll begin to regale you with stories. 
some people I'll go and have time with, and they'll begin to regale me with stories that they have told, I'm sure, 50 times. It's as though you push the button and the automatic reeling out of their story goes, and always their story is the same. It's a different circumstance. It's a different story, but the theme and the model is always the same, and that is how smart I am, how successful I am, what dummies other people are, how they missed it. These stories are flowing out of the pride of a man or woman's heart. As they talk about the honors they've received, the the connections they have, the people they know. It's all foolishness. But let me... Let me finish this passage. Let me read it in its entirety for you. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. Now when I come over here to the to the book of James, I want to read this for you. We're going to talk about it. This is James, Pastor James, of the half-brother of Jesus, the New Testament church pastor, beginning in verse 12 of chapter 1. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Every trap of the devil can become a trial. A painful trial. Let me share why. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive a crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil. Nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after his desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it has become full-grown, gives birth to death. I want to share with you a literal translation of this passage. It makes it much more clear. This is from the Lavender Bible, James, the first chapter. Blessed is the man who endures temptation to sin, because having become approved, that is, being successful, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord promised to the ones loving him. 
There are those who say, no, you cannot gain the victory over sin. You're always going to be tempted and you're always going to fall. They're lying. That's not what the scriptures say. Verse 13, this is James 1, verse 13. Let no one being tempted say, I am tempted tempted by God, for God is untemptable by evil. And he himself entices no one to sin. He will test, but he will not tempt. We need to understand the difference. Verse 14, but each one is enticed to sin by one's own lust, being drawn out and being lured by bait. Then the lust, having assisted, produces sin. And the sin, having been completed, brings forth death. I want to go back and talk about what is this process of entrapment that the Satan, the devil, the the Lucifer, the, the dragon, what is his what is his process? He waits until Jesus is starving after forty days of fasting. And then he presents his temptations. And each of those temptations are baited with the scripture. Jesus refuses the bait on every temptation. It says, but each one is enticed to sin by one's own lust, being drawn out and being lured by bait. I'm going to say something that may surprise some of you. It may make you even uncomfortable. We live in an age of enticement to sin. When I was a farm boy, we didn't have television. We didn't have worldly magazines or books. We read the Bible. We prayed. We played outside. We went swimming in the river. We worked in the farm with hoeing out the beans or hoeing out the corn or picking the tomatoes. There was not a lot of opportunity to sin except bickering between my brothers and myself. But today, we have images. I didn't have images to contend with when I was a young man. I have seen so many images of wickedness in my life that my mind has been jammed with images. And now, all it would take is looking at the wrong picture. Looking at the picture that I would be enticed by for that new car. The image on the television, the image on my my smartphone, no, my stupid phone. The image given to me in a, in a magazine. I just went to the mailbox before I came to do the broadcast and there were five Christmas magazines. Now, I didn't sign up for all of those magazines. I 
shopped at one store, and they began sending me their magazines, and then they sold my name and my address, and now I'm getting magazines from everywhere. Now, I can look through those magazines, and as I do so, I see a shirt that I really like, and I say, wow, I have to have that shirt. Wow, I have to have that. Do I need it? No. I just want it. Enticed, entrapped. Images. My late wife, Jan, was out of an Amish, Dunkard background. Out of Ohio. Her ancestors were Amish. And one thing I learned very quickly in Amish country is you don't take pictures of Amish. Why? Because they don't believe in images. I've come to a place in my life where I don't believe in images either. And I have worked very diligently to cut off the images from my face, from my eyes, that I cannot be triggered by them. I mean, aren't all men wired to look at images of sexually provocative women? The internet today, not speaking about pornography sites, just speaking about advertising. The advertising is soft porn. As these images trigger in your mind, you already have a lust in your heart. You already have a desire in your heart. So dad, looking at his cell phone, sees a very sexy woman. And he turns to his son who is 20, 21. Look at this. Now father and son look with lust on the picture. They're setting themselves up for wickedness. The lust having assisted. In other words, the picture was the bait. It didn't make you do anything. It just triggered the lust of your heart that's already present. You see the picture of, or the image of, Bitcoin, gold, silver, investments, houses, cars, bikes, whatever it is that you have a lust for in your heart. And that trigger is there. I was with a man who, could not afford to do it. But he saw a new car. And he said, you know what? I want one of those. And the next day he walked into the dealership, made a, a deal, and the next day he drove out with his new car. Everybody oohed and awed. He was trapped by the lust of his own heart. And the image that he saw 
triggered him to go after that new car. Being drawn out, being lured by bait. Lured by bait. Then the lust having assisted. So it's it's the image of, of the luxury. It's the image of the house. It's the image of the car. It's the image of a person, a man or a woman. The lust rising up in our hearts. Being assisted by the baiting that the devil has done. Do you know the devil knows exactly where your sore points are? He knows exactly how to tempt you. He has a very careful record of your history. He knows where you like to go on the internet. He knows the kind of music you like to listen to. And he knows the impact that music will have on you in triggering your lust. He's a very clever lion going about seeking whom he may devour. The lust having assisted produces sin. In other words, produces action on our part that fulfills the lust of our desire. Whether that's for money or sex, recognition, power. (coughs) Pardon me. Whatever it is that our heart is lusting after. The lust assists the bait. And the sin having been completed brings forth death. You must not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow or turning. Having willed it, he brought us into being by a word of truth for us to be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So then, my beloved brethren, all men must be swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. Therefore, having already taken off all moral uncleanness and residue of depravity. In other words, even the residue of sin is to be washed out of our hearts. In humility, you must receive the engrafted word, the one being able to save your souls. Now you must be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, this was like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. Now he observed himself, and he's gone away and immediately forgot what he was like. 
We're called to be doers of the word. Now, if you'll be honest with me, you'll have to acknowledge, as I have to, that I have been enticed by my lust many times. Satan has known exactly how to bait the hook or bait the trap with that which would be fulfilling the lust of my heart, my flesh. And after having done that sufficient number of times, we're totally caught, we're ensnared, and what we are enticed by seems like a natural right I can look at what I want to look at on the television. I can play whatever video games I want to play. I can do what I want to do. I'm free. Not realizing that these things that we've been enticed by, by the lust of our heart and the lust of our flesh, that these things put a veil over our face so that we're no longer able to perceive the truth. And so a group of Christian men, leaders in a local congregation, can have a night to gamble with nickels and smoke cigars. And then finally say, hey guys, let's go down to the strip club once. There's nothing. No one will know. It's dark. Nobody will know. And off they went to the strip club. And when the pastor found out, he was utterly heartbroken that his leaders would sin so wickedly by the baited trap of the devil. So at first, the bait seems delicious and innocent. And we go down that path, dumb, blind, naked. And as we take the bait, the devil says, I got him. I got him. A brother-in-law, a serious Christian, began to play with darkness, began to have illicit sexual affairs, began to enjoy his alcohol, began to cheat in his business, became critically ill. And one night, my late wife took the garbage bag out to the garage and the garage door was open and she heard the strange, slow, measured steps of a man. She looked up and it was almost dark. It was dusk. And here was a man walking down the alleyway with a, a dark overcoat, a hat pulled low over his face. And when he got even with my late wife, he stopped. 
and he turned with a sneer, and he said, I got him. My wife came rushing back into the house, weeping uncontrollably, and said, Hank is dead. The devil got him. We immediately tried to contact him, and in fact, there was no answer. We soon got the phone call that Hank had passed, had suddenly died. The devil got him and carried him off where he could wait for the judgment day and the fires of hell. The devil is not playing with you. He is entrapping you. And you must decide, do you want the fullness and the glory of Jesus? Do you want Jesus? Or do you want the lust of your flesh? Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray. I'm eager to hear from you. Please help us meet the need for this broadcast. Go to nationalprayerchapel.com nationalprayerchapel.com God bless you. I love you. I hope to talk to you soon.